Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. Speak today to George Franskides, who is the CEO of Alba Minerals. They're a UK-listed mining operation, we're going to call it. Uh, they've got assets in Greenland, uh, mainly around mineral sands, graphite, ilmenite, that sort of thing. Also got a gold mine, a very unusual, unique gold mine in Wales, uh, where gold can be charged at, at sort of two to three times market rate, George tells us. Plus, they've got a share in the Horse Hill oil and gas project. So multifaceted, not a lot of cash, three million market cap. What do you do? Enjoy the podcast. Hello, George. How are you, sir? I'm very well. How are you? Not bad, not bad. We, we, we saw you, I think, in London in October. Quite a lot has changed since then. So I assume you're at home, hold up, avoiding yes. people. Yes, indeed. We're, uh, we are hold up, have been for some time. But um, the, work, uh, the workload doesn't, uh, doesn't diminish, Good. I'm sure, as you realise as well. So we, we're, we're soldiering on. Good, 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 good. Okay. Well, look, let's kick off with a one-minute overview for people new to this story, and then we'll pick it up from there. Sure. Well, Alba Mineral Resources PLC, we're listed on the AIM market in London. We were set up as a mining company. Uh, we've always been a mining uh, company. We've operated our own licenses. Started off in Scotland and Ireland. Uh, we then moved into Greenland in quite a big way. We've got four projects in Greenland two with Jork Resources, one which we were hoping to have a Jork Resource uh, this season, but no doubt we'll come to the reasons why that's a little bit delayed uh, uh, in, in, in our chat. And um, we've also got a 90% interest in the Clogai gold mine uh, in North Wales, which is a unique story, which I'm sure we can talk about as well. And we've got two investments in oil, so that's quite unusual for a miner. But we saw an opportunity to get involved in that Horse Hill story uh, five years ago. We were a founding member of that consortium, and we've uh, we've stuck with the project now in commercial production. So, um, so that's been a success, and uh, and and so we've got quite a diversified portfolio, really, of mining assets in different commodities: gold, graphite, um, mineral sands, in particular in Greenland, the gold in in Wales. And uh, of course, these oil and gas investments as yeah. well. So quite diversified. It's very diverse. Diverse uh, for a small company. I mean, obviously today, I think being hit by you know market reset and obviously COVID nineteen conditions. So you're you're about three million market cap. I think you were double that when I saw you last. Um, should we start with um, let's start with Horse Hill? Just park that because that's something which you're basically you're in, but you don't really have day-to-day management control of. So where are they with that project? They're in commercial production. What does that mean? So it means they're producing uh, from Horse Hill 1. Um, they also drilled Horse Hill number 2 um, So that uh, last year. So that uh, was uh, successful in terms of penetrating the zone that they wanted to penetrate. They then had a water uh, issue in terms of water uh, inflow. Uh, which they then uh, looked to resolve. So I think HH2 is still sort of work in progress. Um, the idea with HH2 was that it would produce uh, much higher volumes of oil than than a vertical because HH2 is a horizontal. 
2Z as it's called. Um, and you're expecting, certainly their uh, UCOG's advisors were telling them you could get two to three times uh, flow rates from an optimized horizontal versus an optimized vertical. In other words, a perfect horizontal versus a perfect vertical would get you hopefully two to three times volume. So, um, you know, we're still waiting for that. That's obviously going to be a big um, boon for the project uh, if that happens and, and if that can be achieved. At the moment, I think the real mainstay is HH1 and that's producing, has been sort of steadily producing around the sort of 250 to 300 barrels per day mark. Um, so so, that, so that's, that's pretty stable. It has been on production since July 18th. It was test production, and only recently, when they got their final approvals through, it became commercial production. So that's very good. So there's 25 years of planning permission. Uh, there is a long-term consent from the OGA to to go into the commercially produced. So all of the regulatory side of things is very, very, um, you know, is 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 in place. Um, I think that the plans, obviously, from the operator to try and get the production up. So that there is, um, you know, it's more profitable. Of course, the project is hit by the oil price, and that uh, that's really also been in the doldrums of late. Um, I mean, you know, to see U.S. oil at a negative price is astonishing, really. I mean, Brent, as you know, hasn't been affected quite in that same way, but it's obviously has been affected, and it's down at, you know, I haven't looked today, but it's obviously been around the twenty dollars mark for it for a little while now so it's very extraordinary to see a negative chart in oil people are people are being paid to take oil because there's nowhere to store it uh, it is extraordinary yeah. you're right but coming back to your investment in horse hill you know i, I appreciate their current issues with uh, with working etc and they are trying to optimize things but what was your expectation for what that would mean for you in terms of monetary contribution and what have, has that been revised to? Um, uh, we're not making any monetary contribution at present. We took a decision, um, I don't know, six to nine months ago that uh, we wouldn't contribute to the last uh, cash flow, that was a cash call that was issued. Um, you know, there's various reasons for that. Um, nothing to do with our view of the project per se just um, our view of where our money is best spent. Um, we had banked a considerable interest in that project. We had spent a lot of money in banking that interest, both in terms of following our money, contributing to cash calls, more than two million pounds worth, and um, buying interest in Horse Hill. So we only got a 5% interest on the setup of the consortium, but then we bought in, we bought from Angus, we bought from Regency, um, and we ended up with 18%. From 5 to 18, became the second largest holder in that consortium. So, you know, we uh, haven't been uh, putting money into it of late, but, um, but, but we still obviously have faith that it will come good. And obviously what come good means is that ultimately we should see our share of revenues coming out of it. Um, so, so that's the uh, the end game, if you like. But if it doesn't, I've been very public about the fact that we will either stay with this for the long term and 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 look to get our share of revenues out, or we will, you know, happily at the right price see this as what it is, which is an investment for Alba, and um, and look to to exit um, on on decent terms that will give us a. Uh, 
a net positive outcome that will just, you know, that will, you know, one of the things that we've been clear about is we've got a lot of assets and investments. I think that was the right strategy. Um, I've seen a lot of juniors with one asset um, failing in that asset and going nowhere and becoming a shell. We were determined that we would find, look out for, find, identify and secure really good assets in a range of commodities which would give us the best chance that one or more of those could become a, what we call in the industry a company maker um, and, and real, really show decent returns uh, for our shareholders. So that's still the strategy. But, but you know, now is the time also to say, well, times are hard. Mate, raising money is difficult. We don't like to raise money um, at these levels. Uh, so certainly one of the strategies that we have been following is to try to develop tried to divest of at least one if not more of our sort of what we'd consider i suppose non-core asset right and what do you think this is worth to you what's it on your books at on the books at about it's a very good question i think it's on the books about five and a half five five and a half million something like that i might be wrong um someone's going to pour over our accounts now and tell me that i'm wrong but it's in that range uh of um you know acquisition cost plus um investment into the actual uh, work that's been ongoing so it's it's for you know let's say it's in the four to five million bracket maybe a little bit more than that interesting your market cap's three million today interesting yeah but that's not unusual is it i mean that's the problem i mean i've had a chat with someone the other day and I, and they're interested in one of our assets and i and this happens all the time this is not exceptional by the way you know we've got good assets and I said, well, you know, the first thing you need to do is not look at our market cap because we will not entertain um, offers on the basis of a non-core asset where you divide our eight assets by three million pounds. You can forget it right now. You might think that's unrealistic, but that is the way we look at things, right? So our market cap, people say, well, oh, the market is telling you what you're worth. I'm afraid the market is telling us all sorts of things at the minute. Um, and the market is, you know, is a little bit capricious, shall we say, if I can say it properly. Um, you know, it's very, it's, you know, I just don't, I don't believe that. I don't believe that our assets are worth uh, what the market is telling us they're worth a lot more and i think individual assets like the horse hill asset is worth is worth more than okay so so, 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 so given at some point you're going to need to raise some capital for the other projects um at what point because i think today isn't perhaps a good environment to be selling oil assets uh, and whatnot unless things are dire um at what point and at what price do you think you're going to be able to divest your way out of Horse Hill. I, that, look, I wouldn't. I wouldn't even even if I had an idea, which I do. Um, I wouldn't particularly want to broadcast what I think we would sell out our asset at in Horse Hill because, obviously, we have had discussions with various parties about about that, and um, uh, we've got a very firm view. We've done our own valuation on uh, Horse Hill. We know what we think it's worth. I know what the the range is. Um, and uh, therefore, you know, until that offer comes on the table, we won't entertain discussions, really. So you're right. I mean, and, and, you know, we don't have to sell, right? We don't have to, we actually don't have to sell any of our assets. We don't have to. Um, but there is interest in, in a range of our assets. And I think it would be obviously remiss of us not to take those, 
those approaches seriously. Um, we have had to issue a lot of shares, and I know that. I mean, I'm an investor. I'm a shareholder in Alba. Um, you know, I, I, it pains me that the share price is what it is. Um, it's really come off a lot in recent times. I think it's oversold. I would say that, but, you know, I do think it's oversold. Um, but, you know, we've had to issue a lot of shares to increase our stake in Horse Hill and to, to do placings, to spend money. We spend a lot of money on our projects. We've got short resources on two of them. Um, you know, we're, we're, we've certainly progressed. We've used the money well, but it, it, you know, there's no denying that you know our share price isn't where we need it to be. So, would you sell your stake in Horse Hill, Horse Hill at a Freudian slip, uh, at a discount to what you've got on the books at today, or are you looking for? A I premium? mean, that wouldn't be our starting point. No, <laughs> no, absolutely not. Okay. I mean, because we've just been through an audit. So, you know, when you go through an audit, you need to obviously justify um, the book value of all your assets. And so those discussions have been, you know, held. And and, and to be honest, they're they're based on um, real data. So, you know, we've we've there are other sales in Horse Hill uh, over the last three, four years, and they set a benchmark. Um, whether that benchmark has to be revised, let's see how the oil price settles in the next six to 12 months, because obviously we'll be in audit time again in 12 months time. And we might have to take a different view on the long-term um, outlook for, for oil. Uh, or it's been very volatile, as you well know, the oil price. I mean, you know, it wasn't that long ago that it was riding high. Um, it really wasn't that long ago. So it's been very volatile and it can be affected by so many global factors, you know, this this dispute between OPEC and OPEC plus and, and all this stuff that's, that's going on. So it's hard to say. I mean, a lot of predictions, but hard to say where it'll be uh, in six months, alone, 12 months. Okay, so you don't need to sell. You'll review it as the global economy hopefully settles down or at least gets into some kind of routine and you'll make an assessment. Okay. And, you ha you're, and you're yeah. saying you're, you are, have had or are in discussions about it. Yeah, always. Oh, okay. We are. I mean, it's just, an, and that shouldn't be a surprise. I mean, it's not that I've got anything to announce because obviously the per first person we'd have to tell about that would be um, our nomad and, and the AIM market. But there's nothing to announce. But we, as with all businesses, we're constantly in discussions with third parties about um, all sorts of things. Okay. Uh, but that includes our assets. And I'm pleased to say, and I've always said if asked, that we, 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 we regularly field questions from people who would like to get involved with our what we've got on our asset portfolio, uh, and that is a sign that what we've done is 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 right. Okay. Um, well, I think it will come to fruition eventually, but it'll take a little bit more time for re reasons which no doubt we will come to. Okay, let's let's get on to something slightly more regal. Let's talk about Clog Eye, your gold mine in Wales. You gave us a well. Actually, give us a little little potted history, please, before we kind of get into the actual mining component. It is unusual. It's unique. I mean, it's uh, it's the UK's largest producer of gold in history. Um, it produced um, the, the Dolgethlai Gold Belt, which is where Clog Eye is produced. I think recorded about 120,000 ounces over time. That's not, it doesn't sound like a lot. I think a lot of it. And let's just say um, diplomatically that maybe not all of it was recorded. 
Um, and in, I mean, let's not forget it was in production since the 1850s. And all the stories from the people in the area that I've spoken to, who grandfathers and great grandfathers worked down the mine at Clog Eye, telling us about how they pulled out rocks that were covered in gold. Um, they'd never seen anything like it, and I've never seen anything like that. I mean, we've we've got some high-grade specimens which are very nice, um, but the stuff they're talking about is uh, is just is just phenomenal grades of gold. And you know, it's it's I'm sure that actual production levels were a lot higher. Let's just say that. Um, but Clogger itself is the largest producer in 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 UK history. About eighty thousand ounces recorded again. Um, on and off production, you know, heyday was the second half of the 19th century, the, the first half of the 20th century. It then had intermittent production sort of in the second half of the 20th century. Um, last production was in the late 90s, I believe. It's then been held by uh, one or two groups. Um, I wouldn't say they pulled up any trees in terms of what they were doing. What we, we, but we decided that there was a massive opportunity here. I mean, it is a challenging project because it's narrow-veined gold. It's underground. Um, the mine is underground. Um, it has to be underground because of the setting. It's in the Canadian National Park. But there is a mine there. And if you had to put a mine in place there now, with the amount of development that is there, it would cost you millions today at today's prices. But we've, all, we've got all that, and it's massive un underground. And... Um, we think it's inconceivable that there isn't more gold there uh, because the old timers, or just the old companies that used to operate this mine, used to just chase the veins as they saw them into the hillside, literally by sight. Um, and that's how they did it. They had, they had no, they applied, maybe I'm doing them a disservice, but they didn't apply a huge amount of what we would call modern. Uh, they didn't have those techniques available to the modern uh, geophysical geochemical um, and geological techniques that we now have and are able to employ to work out where these systems lie, where the gold-bearing um, setting is likely to be found and beneath uh, existing workings. So, you know, they haven't, you know, they haven't gone as far as they could do. We drilled last, end of last year, into uh, an area that we hope to intersect gold. Now, the difficulty with drilling at Clog Eye is it's narrow vein, so you can imagine that you could hit a couple of holes um, five metres apart, and in a typical you know, uniform deposit, you would expect to hit gold if your geology is right, but here you, you may miss it, because in between those five metres might be the highest grade gold you've ever found in your, you know, in in the history of UK gold mining, but you didn't hit it because you went slightly to the left and slightly to the right. And that is the difficulty. But what, what's, what we've, you know, and that's why we said we were drilling for structure primarily, not for grade. And we found the right structure. So we know what the geological setting is that we want to find and where gold has always been produced from Glogai. Um, so the, the drilling was successful, albeit that the market didn't particularly like it because it was, um, you know, great structure, but not high-grade gold, and that's what anyone okay. Well, let's, 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 let's talk about so, it. Um, so, yeah. what, what did you buy? How much did it cost you? And what did you inherit in terms of the data? Because you know, talking about old timers is is great, but it doesn't give it doesn't give you anything to work with today. So, 
Tell us about that. No, no, bit. that well, it was owned. It was owned by two companies. One was public. One was um, private. And we bought the public stake from uh, a company called Stellar Resources. Who, well, actually, I think when we bought it, they they had changed to Primorus Investments. Um, that was a forty-nine percent stake. And um, then we bought another forty-one percent from the private group. So we became majority owners of ninety percent. We've got the right to go to a hundred percent. Uh, in the future so we can say that we own all of it um so so that's what we did I, you know i mean about a million pounds all in probably i mean there or thereabouts probably i mean i'd have to go back and check but something in that range um uh, mainly in shares so there's another share deal um but our share price was, was quite a bit higher then um so so that's what we paid um we had done a lot of homework on it. We'd been to site several times. We had looked over the data. There's a lot of historical data. There are a lot of reports written on Fog Eye. There are a lot of people who are very clever who have worked on the project in the last 20 years uh, who are experts in narrow vein gold settings like this. And we had assimilated all of that data and decided that there was a good chance, a good significant prospect of finding economic resources of gold at clog that had never been mined before and what does so, that what does that mean tell me about what tell me about the economics what does that mean you, you've made an evaluation based on what data and what sort of quantum i mean have you got a resource we don't i mean the evaluation is essentially um that we we take into mind the fact that welsh gold has always attracted a premium price on 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 the market so whatever your and of course spot price of gold is currently riding high, but we have typically said we would expect to be able to get two to three times spot price of gold for Welsh gold and particularly for clog eye gold. Um, that has historically been the case, and in fact, I mean I don't want to sort of hang my hat on it, but we've also seen prices of ten to twenty times um, gold. Now that that's partly to do to scarcity value. And of course, if we flood the market with Welsh gold, that scarcity value may may recede or diminish. But you know, we would control that market, so we would control how much Welsh gold is sold into the market, and and keep its cachet. And why has it got a cachet? Well, Welsh people are very proud; they like Welsh gold. Um, the international market likes Welsh gold and clog eye gold because the royal family uses it, has used it for a century, um, and so it has the royal cachet. Um, so I think for various reasons, it's always fetched a premium price. So we, we, we're not looking at another 80,000. It would be nice if we've got another 80,000 ounces, obviously, but we don't think we need that to make a, to make a very, very successful story here. Um, I look at what Scott Gold's done and is doing, and obviously they had a very long a long time it took them to get into production. They are, uh, they're expecting that. I think they've been delayed, obviously, for COVID reasons, but they are obviously very on, they're on the cusp of first gold. Um, so they're a 25 million market cap. Now, you might not think that's, that's you know, stellar, but it's, it's very solid. Uh, it's a very solid business, clearly, and it has good backing. And we see no reason why we couldn't be in that realm, if not, you know, better off because we only need five to ten out probably five to ten thousand ounces per annum um to make a very very successful if you think about the if you're able to sell that for four or five times 
you're effectively make you know you're effectively producing 50 to 60,000 ounces rather than five, the five to ten you're actually producing. Where, where was the, the last time Welsh gold was sold in the open market? Uh, it's been sold in small amounts on in auction specialist auctions, um, and those have fetched you know from what I've seen sort of eight to ten, sometimes twenty times um, spot rates. But we are talking about very small quantities, relatively small quantities. But but the um, you know there is a market there. I mean there is a private producer of Welsh gold jewellery um, who've been you know very successful in the last five ten years. They've been selling to international markets. They've got uh, franchises in airports, and they they've got various shops around the UK, in particular in Wales, but not only in Wales. Um, you can buy their stuff. I don't want to give them an ad free advert here, but you can buy their stuff on the uh, BA, you know, um, in flight magazine. You know, there is a there is an international demand, and we've had international buyers coming to us and international jewellery firms of repute. Coming to us and saying they would love to get involved with with our clog eye gold gold project. Okay, and to be clear for the audience, this is regular gold, but from Wales. So this is a marketing this is a marketing story to be able to get those sorts of multiples in terms of you know whether it be two, three. There is a marketing times. story, as a massive marketing story. There's a massive opportunity. Obviously, we could produce if we have enough of it. We could produce different types of product here. We're talking about both gold coins and small gold bars those things are very collectible they would we would expect them to fetch a significant premium they would be an investment in their own right um, and then there is this this jewelry market and you know it's not to be sneezed at it is a massive potential market for clog eye gold and we would position ourselves differently to that competitor and there are one or two others who are out there um, um, sort of selling Welsh gold we would be looking to produce much higher end bespoke uh, items, um, which would fetch you know a massive premium. But this, so this, so yeah. there's, there's a lot of that. There's a lot of work still to be done on that. But that is uh, that is part of what the work we're looking at okay. in terms of monetizing this asset. So the way you've described this to me is that you think 25 million, like Scots Gold, would be a nice solid business not to be sniffed at. Um, so there's a kind of almost a cap to this, or what, what this the potential is here. So, how does an existing shareholder or a new shareholder look at that and go, "That's the one for me"? There's because there's no blue sky. You're very, you're so clear. Well, there is blue sky. There's We're, massive blue sky. I mean, I, 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 I um. I therefore should give you a bit more detail on, I mean, Scott Gold is, is I said, what I'm saying is they've done a good job. They've taken a long time because it's been, they've had a lot of regulatory hurdles. They've overcome those. They've got a 25 million market cap. It's a solid business. I'm not saying we are Scott Gold Mark II. I'm saying that it just shows you there is a potential there with a UK gold-based story to get into, you know, multi, you know, tens of millions of market cap, which is where we should be as a company, right? We've got some very, very solid, if not stellar assets on our portfolio, in our portfolio. And there is no reason why we shouldn't be there. Even now, we should be there, right? The market's not giving us that credit, um, but, you know, we will try to change that. But in terms of Clogo, there's massive blue sky. I mean, this is a gold belt that we have... We're the only listed company that's got any of it. We've got most of it under license to ourselves. There's a little bit that 
is held by that company that makes gold jewelry they're not uh, they've got another mine they're not they're not in production they're just using um, past past levels of production to, um, to 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 produce their gold but anyway point is we've got most of this Dolgethly gold belt under license to one company Alb Mineral Resources and our subsidiary Gold Mines of Wales there is nobody else who can say that and we have found we did a lot of work not just in the mine in the last two years but we've been going out into the fields of North Wales with our team of uh, crack graduate geologists led by some very senior geologists of course but cabling costs down because it's a very simple exercise. We've been running a soil sampling campaign over miles and miles of this gold, gold belt. We've only still done about 25% of it. And already we found 10 gold anomalies in areas where there has not been any previous significant mining. Now, you know, we are, it is exploration work, right? But it is, you know, it's phenomenally interesting and massive potential. Because if we can find one or maybe even more than one deposit that's economic, that's outside of the clog eye footprint, the current clog eye mine footprint, we've got another potential clog eye mine on our on our hands that has never been exploited before. So, you know, the, the, when you say blue sky, I mean, you couldn't get more blue sky than that. You know, we, we could be setting on the proverbial gold mine and we won't know until we push that work forward. So it is painstaking work. No one's ever done it before, to our knowledge. Amazing though it may sound, this is standard exploration um, work 101, you know, take it off the shelf, bookshelf. This is how you do it. No one's done it before, but we've painstakingly gone in and we've done this over, you know, several miles so far, but there's several miles still to be um, sampled. And already we've seen, you know, 10, Samples, ten anomalies, and and they, you need to go into each of any each and every one of those anomalies now, because all you're talking about is sort so, gold in soil. Um, so we find detection levels of gold in soil, and we know that there's something interesting going on. Where's that gold in soil coming from? So what we want to do is expose the bedrock of some of these targets, and sample them. Sample the actual host rock underneath the soil, which is only about a meter in depth to get to the bedrock sample that if that shows that we've got some gold bearing quartz veins there we might be onto something we then drill it and we can drill from well obviously we're drilling from surface so it's nice virgin territory virgin targets um you know the, the blue sky potentially is, is is enormous how much cash have you got today um how much cash have we got today i think we can only tell you what was last um told to the market um, which would have been our year-end accounts i think so I, I i couldn't tell you hand on heart what we've got and i'm not sure i can tell you hand on heart what we've got because it is price sensitive but but what i can say about cash is the most recent development that we announced was that we had entered into a financing with a group called bergen um, global opportunity fund they're well known um, new york-based um, investment firm. They have provided funding to tens of uh, juniors like ours over time, if not hundreds, I'm not sure, but lots. They're very big. Um, they've got a lot of money uh, available for uh, companies like us to help us with development capital. We, so we've basically signed a deal where we get a minimum of £750,000 and maybe up to a million and a bit 
uh, from them over a period of 12 to 18 months. So that underpins uh, some of the work we want to do um, in the next uh, six to 12 months. And that is going to be, and, and the good thing about it is that that money uh, is available. We know it's there. There's a runway of funds that's coming um, pursuant to that agreement. Um, in this market, it was actually very good that we got that sorted before the real downturn hit us. Um, because I'm not sure how it would be to raise money on um, standard equity raisings right now. Um, I wouldn't have thought it'd be very easy, but but it's um, it was good. They convert, it's a convertible, they convert the money, sorry, they convert the shares that they get. Um, they've got certain limits on how much they can convert at any one time so that we don't, we don't impact our share price on unduly. That's the, um, so there's safeguards in there. And the idea is, of course, from our perspective, is that then they convert, hopefully, into a rising share price. And that's dependent on us, to an extent, getting the good news out there and getting our share price moving again. It's also dependent, of course, on factors beyond our control that, that I'm sure we'll come to. But no matter how good the work we do is, we, you know, we suffer in times like this. And, and, and therefore, in a sense, we need to ride it out, get through this, and that new good news that we then will be able to push out will be in a receptive market. At the moment, I could tell you, you know, I mean, I don't know, maybe that's not true. I could tell you some good stuff on gold and that would probably um, push our share price because gold is, is very much um, flavor of the month. Um, but otherwise, you know, there's not a lot that will move the, the, move the needle at the moment. Well, there's not because, you know, we haven't talked about Greenland yet. And I know we're kind of, kind of conscious of time here, but Greenland, obviously, with, you know, things like the ilmite and graphite and so forth, you know, to release the value there, you have to spend money. So with a limited amount of cash, gold's in a bull market at the moment is the plan once you can get people back at work. Is the plan to focus on the gold and just sort of do the bare minimum on Greenland? You're obviously not really involved in Horse Hill. You're diversing, if anything. Um, what, what, what is the plan going for? Because it's, you know, these guys are investing and maybe they want to you know, convert at a higher share price. But there's so many things which are out of their control. But the things which are in your control, like where do I deploy my capital, my time to generate the best value for shareholders for the you know the best long-term game for the company what's the plan i haven't kind of heard the 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 game plan you're right i mean obviously there's always a limited amount of cash and we've got to direct it in the best way that's going to possibly move our share price in the right direction now okay the good thing about clogo is it needs smaller amounts of money than you'd otherwise think so the regional exploration we did was actually fairly inexpensive we want to go in um, drilling can be expensive of course um and it doesn't necessarily suit itself to doing a, a shed load of drilling at this project. What we'd like to do in having done a bit of drilling and identified a zone that we think is interesting is to go in and do some bulk sampling. So again, that can be fairly inexpensive. So we'll go in and take a, a, a lot of material out in terms of, you know, a good few tons of material, and then we will process that. And that will be uh, with a view to seeing if that zone, you know, is going to be of economic interest to support restarting mining. And if it's not, we move on to the next zone. And we've got several zones within the in existing underground system that we would want to do bulk sampling at. So that's one thing. 
that we can do as soon as we're able to start work again. We'll, we'll go back in and do that, um, what we call trenching over those regional targets to expose the bedrock, sample them. But in the mine, we want to go in and do some bulk sampling and get, up, get that material process and see what gold is in there and see if that zone will support a mining operation. And then that will, that will be the basis on which we then look for full-scale planning permission to restart mining at Clogeye. So these are exciting things, um, and they can all be moved forward fairly quickly. As soon as we can start working safely again um, in North Wales. In, in Greenland, it's a different um, kettle of fish because it is a fairly remote part of the world, even though our southernmost project is is in the same latitude as northern Scotland, so it's not that far, but it's a huge country, and our northernmost projects are near the Arctic Circle, right? So um, Greenland's a massive country. It's only 50,000 population. They've only had a few COVID uh, mm -hmm. incidents, but they've got obviously a limited health care system. We don't want to overload it. Um, we have had to put our operations on hold there because um, there simply weren't any international flights. They had stopped international flights into Greenland. And obviously our, we have to be cognizant of the risks to our personnel, to our contractors and to members of the public if we are sending teams of people from other parts of the world to Greenland and, uh, and, and there's all sorts of risks associated with that. So we have had to put our work on hold there. Um, the Greenland government um, have been very supportive of the mining industry. It's not the first time that they have done this. In a previous downturn, they did the same thing. They've basically given us a freeze on our expenditure commitments for 2020. All of all miners, all people with licenses have had a freeze because we normally have to spend a certain amount of money every year to keep our licenses in good standing. They've said, no, don't worry about that for this year. The reality is that we may not, our big plan for Greenland this summer was to go in and drill Amitsok, our high-grade graphite project get a chalk resource there. We know there's a lot of graphite there. It was a previous mine, a bit like Clogite. It was a mine a long time ago. Um, it's got the highest average grades, graphite grades that I know of, of any project in the world. The reason why we can't really compare ourselves to some of those other projects at the moment is because we don't have a resource that we can show the market. So we wanted to go in and drill that. I think that the chances of that now are they're still there, it's still a possibility, but I would not say it's a probability. And that really depends on when things open up in Greenland. And I think and, and that we're comfortable with work safe. But yes, we can do a lot of work still. We've appointed um, Pro Graphite. They're a specialist graphite house in Germany. They're going to be doing a lot of testing on our graphite. We've got a load of material from previous field seas. We want to show, we've shown that we've got flake graphite of high value. In our previous test work, we want to show, with ProGraphite's help, that we've got battery-grade graphite. Um, that is 99.95% uh, purity. We need to show that we've got that, so that that opens up another market for us. Aside from the industrial uses of graphite, the battery market is obviously m moving and, and growing exponentially. So we want to be part of that. So that's part of why this test work is, is focused on. That can be done whether we're in the field on uh, and there's other work like that that we can do on our Greenlandic projects. Uh, we want to do a scoping study on our Melville Bay project. We never talk about that. It's, it's an iron ore project. It's got a jork resource. It was drilled at the cost of several million pounds by a previous operator. We picked it up. Iron and prices obviously have fluctuated a bit. They've been better than they have been for some time. Um, 
there is a possibility of monetizing that asset. You know, a, a, an, an up-to-date scoping study to show that that Melville Bay project has legs um, is money well spent. And that's all, there's, you know, there's all the data is available. It's a desktop exercise by an international consulting firm. We know what they're doing and will give confidence to the market that that's a real project again. Um, so these are, there's lots that we can be doing and we are planning to do. So I, I wouldn't be downhearted if I was a, an Alba investor. There's going to be plenty of movement and plenty of progress across our, our projects. Okay. I suppose what you, your focus has got to be on constructing a story and, and reports and analyses which allows people to make determination as to whether or not they want to fund you to actually do any of these projects because they're all going to require money more money than you've got today um, you've got to also tell a story about what your focus is and where what you're going to be doing and I think you're telling me Greenland for the reasons you said but it's probably not going to be core focus but Wales and clog eye gold perhaps is is that fair yeah, no, the Greenland will be a focus, as I said, in terms of the non-field work activities. Field work activities will probably have to be on hold now. Um, I haven't taken a definitive view on that yet because we've still got time. Um, but, you know, there's there's a receding possibility of going into the field in Greenland this summer right? because we're already almost into May. Um, but, but, yes, Wales is a different kettle of fish and there's a lot we can do in the field in Wales and we will be doing. So there'll be news on that coming. In terms of money... Some of those things I talked about in Wales are fairly modest in terms of mining, um, normal mining costs. You know, these are bulk sampling and, and regional exploration is fairly inexpensive. We can do that from our runway of cash that's coming or that we've already got. The other projects, you know, we were looking at joint ventures on some of our Greenlandic assets and they were coming to, you know, that those discussions were coming on, nothing to report, but they were coming on. But unfortunately with COVID, a lot of those discussions from people who would otherwise be interested buyers are on hold because just as we are cautious with our capital, other people are being very cautious with theirs as well. And they don't want to get involved in new assets necessarily until they see this thing um, receding into the distance and, and it being safe to invest again. So, so you know, but, but those things can easily be ramped up where we get into joint ventures on one or two of our assets. Um, and that will obviously unlock cash because the joint venture partner will, yeah. will fund its way yeah. into the project. Brilliant. And that's another way to avoid capital raisings. We we look at those joint venture possibilities. Yeah, I think we discussed them last time in October. So um, I appreciate it's difficult times for mining, difficult times to, you know, when you, when you know what you want to do but can't do it, it must be very frustrating. So I appreciate the update on where you're at. Please stay in touch and let us know how you're getting on and hopefully some semblance of normality resumes soon. Um, because I say, you know, it, it, yours is an interesting one in that a, it's a relatively small company with multiple assets and you've got optionality on how you manage or monetize uh, or create value from them. So I'm, I'm always intrigued to stay in touch uh, with Alba Minerals. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks for your time. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming, and we'll speak to you again soon.